Wait, did you hear? <gasps> no. We're diving into the juiciest celebrity profiles of all time. I'm Beatrice Hazelhurst. And I'm Ivana Ryder. This, this is Uncover Girl. Girl. about my latte i am so sorry <laughs> today was supposed to be a momentous day i've been texting you in the lead up for literally months yeah being like when that psl hits the starbucks menu we'll be ready to go i know and yet alas alas i always get conned by a good marketing ploy they always suck me in i'm such a damn consumer no i also always always am trying things i'm like oh this sounds funky let's yeah. try it and then i order the weird cocktail i get the special you know the dinner special where it's like it's not usually on our menu but today and today only we have purple pasta and i'm like wow. <laughs> we're referring to the fact that we've been looking forward to this recording so much because today is the day that Starbucks released the pumpkin spice latte. A huge day for us. It returned to the full menu at yeah. long last. A national holiday, definitely. But I think a sentimental thing for us. For sure. It was how we started the pod, was sipping, sipping on those. It, you're so yeah, right. I know. It's actually really sentimental. It fueled the beginning. I remember it being your inspiration. Yeah, really early, early on. on. So anyway, we went to go get <laughs> we went to go get one, and on the menu I see a new fall item, an apple crisp latte. By God, I love a dessert. Yeah, and an apple crisp specifically is, I would say, your my go-to. Yeah, your go-to. If I see a bread pudding, a tiramisu, or some sort of cobbler crisp situation, yeah, that's, those I'm are your three. So happy. Yeah, the big three. Those are the big three. <sighs> so I succumbed. <laughs> I succumbed to the crisp and I thought, you know what? You get the PSL. I'll get the crisp. We'll mix and match. We'll have a real moment. We'll really embrace fall in August, late yeah. August. <laughs> and alas, it was really not good, was it? No, no. The apple flavoring was very synthetic. Mm -hmm. It tasted almost like apple candy versus apple apples that grow on trees. But even apple candy can be good. Yeah, I can. It tasted like a, you know, like a fruit pouch. Yes. Very cheap from like a, an off-brand bodega style. Mm, 99 cent store yeah, fruit pouch. Yeah, apple fruit pouch. It wasn't good. And then, of course, I had a sip of your PSL. and It's, I mean, they hit the nail on the head every time they make it. It's just phenomenal. It's yeah. like, how do they do it? I mean, I know how they did it. I know how they did it because this is the 20th anniversary. You know that it was invented in 2003. Plug the damn Patreon I know. Woman. If you are a subscriber, you already know all about this because we have officially launched our blog. Hard launch. Hard launch. Uncover Girls Dissociate. And basically, we're just going to be bringing you all our most unhinged opinions, our personal thoughts, our musings. And the first one that kicks it all off is all about the PSL. $5 a month, guys. Nothing. You less support us. If you break that down per day, I don't know what that is. I don't know. Chris, what's five divided by 30? Five divided by 30. Point six, he Point says. Point six. Point six cents a day. That's straight from the mouth of an engineer. Six. What? One sixth? One sixth. Point, point one sixth. Oh, 0.16, he was saying. Not one sixth. Oh. oh. It's 16 yeah. cents a day, which I think is still a steal. 
16 cents a day. 16 cents a day. I think that's an absolute bargain. I agree. Yeah. I agree so completely. Oh, yeah. Think about what you're paying for Spotify. Double that. Oh, my Triple. God. Yeah. Hulu? Oh, don't hmm. even talk about it. And what, what was the last good Hulu show? <laughs> Let's talk about that. Love Let's talk about that. <laughs> Love Island. Only murders. I know. I'm I'm in. I'm in so deep to Love Island. Oh, my God. I it's know. a great show and it really hoodwinks you. Yeah. But this is all to say. <laughs> the PSL was not good. The Patreon is alive and well. And the pumpkin spice latte is 20 years old. Time has passed. Which brings me to, to you, my sweetie. No, you my start. Love, my no, I need, I need you to start, actually. What? Inspiration? Yeah, your inspiration. I don't. Okay. And I'm coming in completely raw. What comes out of my mouth is not pre-planned. Sometimes I think about it beforehand. This time, I'm going to listen to you intently. Just like we're the only two girls in the room, which we are. <laughs> Raw dogging the pod. And then uh, and then from there, my inspiration will come. I know it. Okay. So I have a tale. Strap in. Mm-hmm. I knew this this contract that I had going with Beats by Dre about 18 months long was coming to an end in August. And I was trying not to spiral. So six months in advance, I booked a vacation for the week it ended. I was like, okay. So I, smart. Yeah. So we booked a what I thought was going to be a, a very chill week where we went from Boston to Martha's Vineyard, the little island off Cape Cod to Provincetown, a famously gay village, population 3,500 at the tip of Cape Cod. I was like, I'm going to be in full Diane Keaton, Nancy Myers drag. Just linens. Just linens. Linens. A wide brimmed hat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, a book on the beach. That's going to be me. God had other plans. As he so often does. As he so often does. We get there. The weather is not good. Let me mm. break it down. It's We're talking gale force winds. We're talking a severe overcast. There's no beach going to necessarily oh, be had. No. We quickly have to pivot and think, how can we make the best of the situation? We're on a literal island. We walk around town and we see a bunch of people hanging up lanterns. What What is this? What on earth is this? We start talking to a couple of possibly locals hanging up their lanterns in their little house. And they're like, oh, this is a 200 year old tradition on Martha's Vineyard where we hang up these lanterns and then we light them all together. The oldest person on the vineyard <gasps> lights the what? lantern. Yeah. And we all celebrate and it's Christmas day in Martha's Vineyard. Wait, you didn't know this? Aren't you here for this? And we were like, no, complete coincidence. They said 12,000 people are going to be here for this. And we thought, oh my God, we found Coachella on an island. Oh, (laughs) fire festival all over again. We get talking to these people. They're like, if you come back, it starts at 8.30, you know, come and say hello. We come back at 8.30. We stand outside their house in the dark, like little freaks. And we're like, should we actually say hello? We're like, hello. They say, come up to our porch and have a rosé. Oh my so God. sweet. I, family. Family. So we sit on this porch, Chris and I, with this young couple from Connecticut. Turns out they knew someone who owned the house and they just came for the festival. And we have a delightful little time. People take photos of us as if we're locals have lived there for many years. People are <laughs> walking past all these lit up houses. They're like, what are you doing the next couple of days? We go, oh, we're going to Provincetown at the tip of Cape Cod. They're like, amazing. How cool. Um, Would you be down if we came? And we said, to Provincetown, where you take a ferry for an hour to a bus for two and a half, three hours to a ride. Really? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, no, we would, we'd love that. We'd love to come. Chris and I think, okay, this is the rose talking. There's no way these people are coming. So <laughs> we get on a little boat. We go, <laughs> we go to Provincetown, torrential rain, of course. 
Oh, <laughs> like bucketing down rain. We get off the damn bus in Provincetown and we see a lot of ass cracks. There's a lot of assless chaps going on. There's a lot of full grown men in naughty nurse outfits. There are more pens than I can count. <laughs> and we realize we have also booked our trip. To coincide not only by week, but by day to Carnival Parade, <laughs> the, the biggest day of the year in Provincetown. This town of 3,500 gets flooded by 125,000 people. Oh. Yes. So we were paying an insane amount. I'm going to say it was $625 a night for this tiny little shack. Because it was Carnival. Because, yes. And I thought when I booked it, I was like, it must just be the most expensive place on earth. Like, totally. It's the summertime, peak season. It was because we booked the most expensive week oh that we God. possibly could by pure chance. We wheel our little bags across the parade to get to our Uber. And the couple text us and say, hey, look, we're coming. We're coming tonight. We were like, oh my God, you're, you're coming? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we've booked a hotel, $500 a night, let me tell you. We decide that we're going out for the night. Chris, as he's walking down the street, as Chris does, six foot six man, gets given a flyer. And someone goes, daddy's going to love you. And he goes, who's daddy? <laughs> who's daddy? <laughs> so we decide that night we're going to daddy's party. Mm-hmm. The couple arrive. We hand up to this house party. Free drinks. Absolute oh. drink. Oh, my God. Open bar. The oh, gays that's know really, how to throw down. This is the thing. That's really when everything changes. I recently was reading something that was like the the most elevated thing you can do as a host if you're trying to like up your dinner parties or anything is to hire a bartender. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that is when everything changes. Totally. When Two I arrive yep. to a friend's house and they have a bartender. Oh, my God. There's nothing like it. No. We learned quickly that gays with no children are just men with dual incomes and have a lot of disposable cash. Dinks. Double income, no household. Double Double income, income, no no, children. No no kids. Yeah, no no household. No kids. (laughs) Not homeless. (laughs) Houseless, not toothless. Yeah. The famous... Bravo. Oh, don't oh, worry. Yeah, don't yeah, worry. Yeah. It's no, real housewives. But, yeah. but someone's getting it out there. Yeah. So we go to this house party. We hang out with these people at about 11 p.m. They're like, wait, how are you guys getting to Boston for your flight tomorrow? And Chris and I were like, well, the ferry was completely sold out because of this week. So, yeah, dude. Nothing. <laughs> no, Beatrice. No, that's why really like nothing it, went as planned. It's a one hour speed ferry or it's a five and a half hour bus. Oh. Chris and I said, we have literally no choice. We have to catch this bus. So we booked a bus for 8 a.m. to get to our 4.30 p.m. flight. We're missing out on our whole day. Yeah. Yeah. They said, well, we're actually going to Boston tomorrow. Why don't we drop you? Angels all above. above. We wake up in the morning, 8 a.m. We're like, what if these people have bailed? They're like, hello, we're up. We're alive. We're ready to drop you. They take us right to our terminal. Five-hour drive. Three-hour drive. Okay, okay. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. In the car. Yeah. Who are you flying with? Drop us off. Hugs all around. And we say, thank you so much for your kindness. They were like, of course. If we ever come to California, we'll be seeing you. And that was it. We were on our merry way. So the inspiration is truly finding the silver lining on a dark stormy cloud yeah but also the kindness of strangers man they can be so good totally made our trip because i was pretty down i was pretty down i'd spent a lot on this vacation and i was so excited to have a dreamy east coast beach chill type of a vacay and it just wasn't coming to fruition and i just had to pivot yeah and yeah they made it 
And thank God you were able to pivot because I feel like misery always comes when you're holding on to the initial idea where you're like, no, 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 no. Like this, it was supposed to be this way. It's the expectations or resentments under construction. Yeah. I believe is an Alcoholics Anonymous phrase. But it, mm-hmm. it really holds true. I mean, I've cried every birthday for that same damn reason. Oh, God. This year, no. no. 29, no tears. No. Dry, dry land. No, smiles all around. <laughs> oh, my God. What are we going to do? I know that I we briefly know. looked into a trip to New Orleans. It happens to be Chris's golden birthday. So <sighs> it's always. Leaving town. Forever <laughs> the bridesmaid. Never the bride. <laughs> so sorry that was so long. No, no, that was perfect. Actually, okay, my inspiration I feel like jumps off of this, which is something that I heard this week. And it has to do with the kindness of strangers where I heard this statistic about, you know, how everybody sort of society as a whole loves to talk about how society is going downhill and how like people are meaner. The world is less safe. Everything is bad. And there's nothing more fun. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Of like everything's going to shit. Is it not? That's like such a fave topic. You you have friends that are very like the world is burning. I know. I try to have a sense of humor about it. You know, it's like if we're all going down, we're all going down. Levity is cheap. I agree. And obviously, very serious what's going on. But I heard this statistic recently, which is that people have always thought that since the dawn of time. And where they usually track the downfall, like when did it start, is usually around the year they were born. It's like the idea that life was good before you were born. And then the year you were born, everything started going downhill. And like the childhood you remember was better than your 20s, was better than your 30s in terms of like society Mm. and that um, people that you know are very kind, but strangers are unkind. And so it really is kind of a little bit of a hoax, this idea that everything is going downhill. Society is going downhill. People are not as kind as they once were. No one will help you. Yeah. People love to romanticize the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, but a lot of those time periods absolutely sucked. It's just that like, we tend to think like, yeah, before we were born was amazing. And then as soon as we came into the world, everything kind of went downhill. I've had that question asked me a couple of times of which era would you choose to live in if you yeah. could? And I literally always said this one. Current. Yeah. I, I heard Jane Fonda in a podcast and she's great at talking about this because she's lived through so many God, love her. <laughs> different periods. I mean, she remembers Los Angeles when it was farmland, birds everywhere. And I think the question posed to her at the time was like, okay, do you miss those days? She said, well, if my mother had been alive during this time, she wouldn't have committed suicide because she would have had mental health resources to buoy her up. And she would have been protected in society as we know it. She also said like, I miss letter writing, but the fact that I can text a friend, I love you is incredible yeah and that really i mean that's a big perspective shift for i think a lot of people who are like doom and gloom social media is killing us and it's like to some extent of course that's true it could definitely be more regulated but overall it seems it's it's, it's pretty good i know and we used to live in like asbestos houses there are so many things in all the eras that we're working against us and we're working for us so it's always it's always a mixed bag and it is today yeah so that's my inspiration the mixed bag of life that's a strong inspiration. <laughs> and there's another man who really takes life as if it's a mixed bag. I know. Who's very comfortable with the idea of a mixed bag. He's the personification of like two truths can exist. At the same time. Where he seems totally douchey and insane. And at the same time, he's very lovable. Yeah. And I still want to date him. Oh, yeah. So, wh- 100. Of course, who we're talking about is none other than John Mayer. I Do you know, know any super fans? Yeah, I was going to say. 
I know one. Oh. My fiance, Stephen Long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely loves him, which makes sense. Stephen plays guitar and John Mayer is like one of the best guitar players in our lifetime. Like generationally. Yeah, existing. generationally. Yeah. yeah. Like Eric Clapton is like, he's an amazing musician and man. Mm. So it's, it's irrefutable that he's an extremely talented virtuoso on the guitar his music has been popular for decades at this point. Moms all across the country would throw themselves in front of a truck to kiss him. He's 6'3". <sighs> yeah. He's got great hair. He's in his 40s now. And I know you've seen him. Seen him live. You've seen him live. <laughs> I've never well, seen him. I need to disclose first off a personal connection. Of which course. is that his publicist of many years at Columbia Records is a very close friend. And I love her very much. I've never interviewed him with her. But she did invite me last minute to one of his shows. It was really exciting. Although it was a Sunday night and we had had a big weekend. Mm. And so fading a little bit. Yeah. We stayed, I want to say for three quarters and then it got to a point that's like, Oh my God, the traffic and getting home, this is going to be really tough. We've seen all the hits. Maybe we should just bow out now. It's like 1130 on a Sunday. Maybe we should just shimmy mm -hmm. into the night. Chris goes, I just want to see this one song. Like what song? I've got this like, fa like my favorite song. I'm so excited for And I was like, okay, what's it called? And he was like, exhale. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know it, but okay. We wait, we wait, we wait. I've the supportive partner. <laughs> Begrudgingly. My little prince will have whatever he wants. Exhale doesn't come on. No. It doesn't come on. And I'm just like, where the hell is the song? Is it his biggest hit that he's saving like for last over an encore? I've just never heard of the song before. So finally I turned to Chris. And I'm like, look, I'm on my last legs. I think I got to go. Do you mind if we leave? He's like, okay, cool. We get in the car. He goes, should we just try and should we try and listen to the song on the way home? I was like, totally. What's it called? Exhale. I look it up. I'm looking it up. I right. can't find it. I yeah, think not, you nothing's look it coming up. up. <laughs> he was referring to John Mayer's cover of the Beyonce hit XO. <laughs> and he had heard it only via John Mayer. And thought he was saying, you love me like exhale. And alas, that song was never to come on because it was no. not John Mayer's song at all. But yeah, John Mayer does a great cover of Beyonce's ex song. No, that's, it's an amazing cover. It's, we would play it, but we'd be sued into oblivion. So, so wow. And he was good? He was good, I think. A little bit embarrassed after realizing that he, in fact, loved the song of a female diva and not a six foot three straight rock god. Mm -hmm. But here we are. Here we are. And Expectations how... of resentments on the construction. <laughs> I do want to say, one, I feel like we do need to give somewhat of a content warning when it comes to the profile. The profiles. Profiles. This is a first for us. This is a first. We're doing a dual episode. Two profiles because there's special circumstances for this. Mm -hmm. These profiles, this was like a, a pop culture moment. They came out within six months of each other. They are both completely unhinged. And the content warning is basically just to warn listeners right now, especially the parents out there. There's going to be very explicit talk here of masturbation, sex, women's uh, genitals, just kind of all the R-rated things you can think of. John Mayer does bring up on his own in mm -hmm. both of these interviews. He does also say the N-word, which has gone down in infamy. And there's just a lot going on. He is, he's 
completely unfiltered in a way that we do not often see of a star of this caliber. Yeah. He was on a press tour and he did both of these interviews one month apart. Okay. Rolling Stone was a full right through profile. Yeah. Playboy, an infamous Q&A. Q&A. Yeah. Question, answer, question, answer, baby. So 2010. We're here. Yeah. And February and March. Insane. He was on one. He was on one here. Absolutely on one. So let me just give you kind of a sense of everything that happened this year. One, Instagram is born. Instagram begins. 2010. 2010. I thought it was 2012. Mm -mm. Oh, wow. Launched. Lady Gaga's meat dress hits the red carpet. It feels like this is like the biggest year for the Grammys and the VMAs. It's kind of like music is king. Katy Perry's teen dream, One Direction. Yeah. All of these things are happening in 2010. Kesha's TikTok, if you recall. Oh, how could I forget? (laughs) Why were we all in middle school pretending we were alcoholics i've never scrunched my hair more in my life oh yeah permanent scrunch <laughs> oh my, and love the way you lie i feel like that had to have impacted you the way it oh, impacted Rihanna me and Eminem. yeah with megan fox in the music video oh my god yeah I about that i know everyone everyone all together she loves a pop punk moment i you know can't take that away from her no you, you can't you'll have to pry it out of her cold dead hands so let's start with the playboy interview yeah i think we i the think the playboy we, is the more famous of the two yeah which is a little bit frustrating just because the Rolling Stone profile is so incredibly good. Yes. Yes, definitely. And the Playboy interview is definitely most famous because of the controversy mm-hmm. surrounding it. But basically, there's just so much here. That's really what I struggle. You'll have to keep me in line here. Okay. I'm going to ask that of you now live because I have probably, I don't know, tw- 25 quotes pulled out that I'm like, how can we not say this? How can we not say this? Let's start with a little background on John. I agree. John Mayer started playing guitar when he was like 13. He practiced like three to four hours a day. This is not someone who didn't work for his star power. He was basically like found guitar and was like, this is what I meant to do. I'm going to be a rock star. There, That was plan A, B, C, D. There was nothing else. He was like, this is the only thing I'm going to do in my life. Went to Berklee College of Music for like two semesters, dropped out to go start his career in Atlanta. Unreal. So he goes and he's like playing blues. He clearly has incredible taste. He was listening to like Bill Evans and Miles Davis and stuff like so early in his life. And he really like takes a lot of inspiration from like the early rock gods and jazz masters he's he's a total wonderkind it's worth mentioning like he can play drums and play guitar at the same time somehow yeah it's unreal no he's the way his mind works bananas and his voice is gorgeous and then in 2001 his debut album comes out room for squares which was electric your body is a wonderland neon there were so many hits on this album that he basically he released it and then was immediately launched into the public eye he like was nominated for grammys within a year of his like entree into the music industry and everyone was obsessed also because he was like cute young tall cutie pie rock star he's the type and i've i have a friend who has this type exactly and is ironically marrying the exact opposite of a man wow do you know of like a cookie 
a cookie type. No, I've never heard that. You know when there's like a man who's got that kind of olive skin with a dark brown eye and a dark hair and it's almost like a chocolate chip cookie and then kind of like <laughs> a round like cherub-like face. Yeah, yeah. It's the cookie. He is the cookie. cookie. Wow. If you, if you look at this photo, is that not chocolate chip cookie? No, I see that. Yeah. I do see that. I'm trying to think of other cookies. Another cookie. Another cookie. Cookie is usually, there's something innocent about the cookie. Okay. There's something super boyish Sean about the cookie. Yes. Cookie. That's a cookie. Okay. Something really boyish, something something mischievous. Yeah. Just cookie. And you know, we bring up Sean. I think this is a useful comparison. <laughs> we'll always bring him up. That's our bit. But the difference between a John and a Sean is that Sean clearly mortified to say anything yes. in an interview that could possibly be perceived as any way other than the context that he meant it is not going on any limbs. John, on the other hand, will only say things like that no human would be comfortable saying to their dearest friends. Yes. He is saying to journalists on the record. And I think that's why we're jumping ahead a little bit, but he became quite a Twitter phenom. Yes. Because he was just going buck wild on there. Yeah. Talking about poop, poop, so much poop, so many poop Loved jokes. Loved a poop joke. Like just, just really being, I wouldn't say necessarily like controversial but really hitting the bottom of the barrel like toilet humor was his and candid just candid candid. at all times yeah and so that was one of the things he was known for he was also known for being a womanizer very well known as a ladies man because he had a series of very very famous girlfriends I mean, people often compare him to Taylor Swift as the I know, and they dated version. this year. There's a dig. I don't know if you caught the dig at her. Oh, I've, there was so much back and forth. They were volleying hits. Yeah, which is so funny. Her is the most clear titled Dear John. Yeah, that's been disproved recently. What? A different John. Oh! Yeah. Oh! Yeah. Uh, oh my a producer, God. engineer, person that I think she of worked course. with at 19. But yeah. Wow. But I think he also assumed that Dear John was about, about him. him. Yeah. So that's kind of the persona that we're coming in with. I feel like the most famous ones, Minka Kelly, Jessica Simpson, which was big. Jessica Simpson because it felt so off-brand. Yes. Minka Kelly, two cookies together make a chocolate chip People love to see it. You know, two cookies together, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner. Yeah, that is two cookies together. That's two cookies. And people love it. It's like, ooh, I know. If they could be brother and sister, people kind of love it. I know, but not blondes. Not blondes. Not blondes. Because that's too Aryan and we just came off a Holocaust. I Tara. That's we'll see. Recent memory. And John Mayer's Jewish on his father's side. I'm gonna hit you with the intro on the Playboy piece first. There hasn't been a new solo male rock star in the music business since Lenny Kravitz and Mayer fit the bill. He wrote hit songs, the ballads Daughters, which went to number one, Your Body is a Wonderland, The Soulful Waiting on the World to Change. He wrote some of the most women-friendly anthems, This Side of Eve Ensler, One Journalist Swooned. Not since Sting has a male singer been both so popular and so respected, and so handsome, too. Worth saying this is written by a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob Tenenbaum who music editor he's been a columnist for gq he's written for the new york times rolling stone new york mag playboy everyone and i mean he is an incredible interviewer it's not like john mayer is holding back really but he asks really interesting questions that provoke a lot of fascinating discussion the first thing out of his mouth in terms of explaining mayer's impact is really the girlfriends which never ever happens no He's like, he's got some hits, but he's also hot 
And he's dated some of the hottest damn women in the business. I know. And then he asked them about these girlfriends and John tells them all about it. Tells them all about it. It's just incredible how candid he's willing to get. He's trying to explain the role that sex has played in his life as he's grown famous. Sex is very top of mind for him. Very top of mind. (laughs) Very. He's thinking about it. And in the Rolling Stone interview, we sort of learn that the thing he wants most, and you can kind of deduce this from the Playboy interview as well, he wants a girlfriend. But not just any girlfriend. He wants an equal. And he wants someone that he can bone into oblivion. Are you jumping to Rolling Stone or Playboy? No, I'm staying with Playboy. I'm staying with Playboy. But that, I just feel like, is a useful anchor to kind of explain. Another useful anchor is actually the ending paragraph of the intro that Rob writes. Oh, yeah. When I met him in the kitchen of his L.A. home, he was talking about not talking anymore. I think the world would be better off if I stopped doing interviews, he said. So we started there. So brilliant. brilliant. So, so brilliant. Rob starts, I think, one of the first questions is like, what's strange about this time in your life? What's going on right now in your life? He originally started playing music because he was an underdog, and now he's famous, and he says, for me, it has never been about fucking lots of girls. I could have fucked a lot more girls in my life if I hadn't been trying so hard to get them to like me. If I have a conversation with a really hot girl that lasts all night, and she says, wow, I had no idea I was going to like you this much, that's equivalent for me of getting laid. So he likes to be misunderstood. He likes to prove someone wrong. Yes. That actually was a huge motivator at the beginning of his career was that he was like, watch me. Watch me do it. You think I won't be able to? I'm going to be so fucking famous. Where does that come from? In the beginning, he was an underdog. People didn't necessarily believe he was going to achieve these crazy heights. The point that he'd be meeting with a record executive and they'd be like, well, why don't you give us a demo? And he's like, no, no. Like, I've got my sights set higher than you, basically. Mm. So... He sort of is going through this identity crisis after he's achieved a level of fame if he's no longer an underdog. He cannot call himself that in any way. But something that John Mayer has been very open about, and he talked at length um, on a recent Call Her Daddy interview, is his lifelong struggle with anxiety, Mm -hmm. which does come through in this interview. He's a very, very anxious person. He is also a very, very funny person. And I feel like I want to say this before we really get into the meat of it, I don't think that we are defending any of the insane things he's about to say, but I do want everyone to put their non-judgmental cap on for a moment because this is the thing. John Mayer is plenty introspective, clearly. He thinks about himself, how he's being perceived, what's going on, how he can be better, how he's bad, a lot. Definitely. He is also so funny. So unbelievably funny. And totally unintentionally funny. Like he's not cracking a joke and waiting for you to laugh. No. He is just innately funny. He is being, to your point, about liking authentic stars. He can only be that way. And he is still this way. Even now, even though he's like been sober now for years and he's talked about how he's, you know, gone through many life shifts and doesn't necessarily agree with the way he went about his early career. He is still like this. This is still how he talks. For sure. So it's real. This is not like a bad boy image. This is truly just who he is. But what's so interesting, and like, I'm sorry, I'm jumping straight back into the Playboy Q&A. No, no. There's no... Okay, let's break it down from our perspective and our experience. Yeah. (laughs) When you want to get into something 
touchy, scandalous, meaty, you have to first go through the rigmarole. Of course. Of being like, and so what was the record about? It was so fun. Tell me more about that process. The most vanilla surface skimming questions. Yeah. Then you you dip a toe. Slip in. You dip a toe. So how was that with such a public relationship? You get a little bit further. Never name. Never. You ever oh say, my yeah. God. You would never say their name. No. no, 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 no. You're slowly inching your way into the deep end. This starts out in the motherfucking deep end. Yeah, yeah. There is no talk of like, oh, I just put out this album and I'm feeling kind of like stressed and like, you know, the media critique and whatever. It's literally like... I'm mm-hmm. famous and getting laid has become an issue. He says, I could have fucked a lot of more girls in my life. And then Rob very innocently asks, so how has that changed? I know. Like a little lamb in the in the woods. Exactly. <laughs> and, then- and then the next thing is about porn. His quote, which is unbelievable, is it's a new synaptic pathway. You wake up in the morning, open a thumbnail page, and it leads to a Pandora's box of visuals. There have probably been days where I saw 300 vaginas before I got out of bed. And Rob continues. So what's your point about porn and relationships? <laughs> Rob is that girl on a date who's like, okay, um, just trying to bring it back around. Yeah. Like, so what? Listening to you, interested in what you're saying. But what's your point? But what's your point? He says his biggest dream is to write pornography, for one. (laughs) And he just loves masturbating. It's like a form of self-soothing for him. He finds it like a lot easier to do that than to relate to women and deal with sort of the expectations put on him, the expectation he puts on women. And he's sort of like, I'm masturbating all the damn time. It's giving incel. I won't lie. I know. No, that, that stuff... I, it's it's hard. And then he also kind of talks about masturbation as a way of dealing with his anxiety. And he says, if you tell me that I'm wrong or that I'm overthinking something, well, overthinking has given me everything in my career. I have a hard time not looking at anxiety disorder as being like an ATM. I can invent things really well. I mean, I have unbelievable orgasms alone. They're always the best. They always end the way I want them to end. And I have such an ability to make believe. I can almost project something onto my wall, watch it, and get off to it, sexually, musically. It doesn't matter. And he's like, the reason why I can't simulate this is because when another person is involved, they're involved. Yeah, it's like, And I have to think about what they're thinking. He says... During sex, I'm just going to run a film strip. I'm still masturbating, which is not what you want to hear. It's not what you want to hear. So, yeah, basically, he's like, rather than meeting somebody new, I would rather go home and replay the amazing experiences I've already had because he's scared of putting himself out there. He's like at a level of fame now. Girls reject him and he has a reputation as a bad boy. Yeah. So this is interesting, this concept of rejection, because you think who on earth is rejecting John Mayer? And this is expressed in both profiles. Yeah. When he goes to the club, he'll meet a girl. They'll start hitting it off. They might go into a back room. Things start happening. And then she'll go, I need to go and tell my friends that I've just hooked up with John Mayer. And he's like, well, what about actually hooking up with John Mayer? Like, yeah. I'm right here. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to, like, fuck John Mayer. I just want to, like, get the story, get in, get out. You're a rock star. Like, you've got a dime a dozen of me. I don't need to go all the way with you. Yeah. Yeah. This is what he says is becoming like a recurring theme to the point that he cannot go out now and just meet a woman off the cuff because they are so determined to be the one who blew off John Mayer. Yes. Yes. And 
it's like, do we feel bad for him? I don't know. I just find it so interesting that he is truly incels versions of a Chad. He's 6'3", good looking, an incredible guitarist and a world famous rock star now. And yet he is involuntarily celibate off the back of it. He's literally paralyzed by his own success and charm and good looks. Yeah. Yeah. God, it really does show you you can have it all and have nothing. That said, he's not had nothing. He's dated some of the most famous women ever. And the most recent is Jennifer Aniston. And there are some amazing quotes. To his credit, he talks about her very graciously. Jessica Simpson, we'll get to later, he talks about herself less graciously. And this was actually, this interview that he did in Playboy was catastrophic for her and her career and her like public perception. Mm-hmm. Which is really unfortunate because he clearly was just thoughtless in what he said. But they talk for a bit about how he's a douchebag. When you Google him, that's what comes up. And he doesn't identify as one. He is kind of meta-aware that he's off-putting. And he's old enough to know that he needs to change. But he doesn't really care. He's like, he's made this record. He's at a low point with his confidence. But he's also at a high point with his, like, I don't give a fuck. And it's clear that specifically with Playboy, he feels like a real freedom. And the fact that the magazine is so, like, pro-sex. So true. I, and actually, that's like probably a big part of the reason that he feels okay saying all this. Totally. He thinks that it's the subject matter. He's like, this is what we're getting into. So Rob asks him, were you one of those people who thought fame would be all rainbows and unicorns kind of when you got into this? And he says, I had a conversation about fame with Jan Aniston before we ever really stepped out in public. She said, do you understand what this entails? Two weeks later, I had people outside my house. I was smart enough to know it would probably make me a sellable item for the paparazzi. I knew I'd have to move into a home with a gate, but that pearl of possibility that lives in your heart when you meet somebody you want to know more about has such a different molecular density than everything else you have to pursue it. And so Battle Studies, the album that he's kind of promoting now, was a lot of these songs are about Jen and the breakup. He did make it clear that heartbreak warfare, which people did initially think was about her, was not. He says, that woman would never use heartbreak warfare. That woman was the most communicative, sweetest, kindest person. When people hear the record, I hope the song makes them think about their lives, not my life. Like when you listen to Coldplay, do you think about Gwyneth Paltrow? I don't write songs in order to stick it to my exes. I don't release underground diss tracks. Mm. Laughs. A dig to Taylor. Famous last words, though, because he would go on to release a diss track about Taylor specifically. I know. Then Rob goes on to ask and basically talk about how he's rarely talked about Aniston. Aniston has rarely talked about him. And he says, we just have a regard for each other's feelings that is pretty intense. It's been a deep relationship and it's no longer taking place at all. Have you ever loved somebody, loved her completely, but had to end the relationship for life reasons? Oh, man, he clearly really cared for her. I don't know actually their age difference. Are you aware? I think it was maybe under 10 years. I think he was 32 at the time of the interview. How old is he now? He is 45. Okay, so she's 54. It's nine years. Nine years okay. difference. But yeah, he talks yeah. about the fact that he was so on Twitter, so online, yeah. and just truly the generation below her, like very Gen X. And she is like the lower end of Boomer, kind of. Mm-hmm. And she's he's like, yeah, like the, one of the most significant differences between us was that I was tweeting. And there was even a rumor that I had been dumped because I was tweeting too much. She, he goes, the brunt of her success came before TMZ and Twitter. <laughs> I think she's still hoping it goes back to 1998. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's embracing the future. 
I wonder where he stands on AI. We'll we have to ask see. him. But yeah, so it's like he takes real umbrage with this idea that he's an unfeeling, uncaring playboy. And when it comes to Jane Aniston, it seemed like a really lovely relationship. And then we're getting to <laughs> immediately after this. It's like you're really there's so much whiplash. You're on the edge of your seat. We're yeah. white knuckling our way through this Q&A because we're about to get into race i know <laughs> rob very saliently brings up the point that rappers love him yeah which makes no sense he's a white guy obviously a soft rock bro yeah why would any rapper love him he responds what is being black it's making the most of your life not taking a single moment for granted let that hang yeah, yeah. what is what being black says john Mayer, as a like a straight white good-looking man over six foot and i think this is worth bringing up is the fact that he has been given every gift there is socially that's true he does say as a caveat not yeah, to say yeah. that my struggle is like the collective struggle of black america but maybe my struggle is similar to one black dudes mm. 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 He also refers to his dick as a white supremacist. Um, yes. Rob Dane says, do black women throw themselves at you? <laughs> he says, I don't think I open myself to it. My dick is sort of like a white supremacist. I've got a Benetton heart and a fucking David Duke cock. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. Um, and then he starts name dropping. Hot black women. Yeah. He's like, Carrie Washington, super hot, white girl <laughs> crazy, break your heart like a white girl, which I don't I don't really know what, what it is means. To, to do that. But he seems to know. He seems to have opinions about this. He does. And this is also the section, we will obviously not be reading it out, where he refers to himself as having a hood pass, like having a hood pass, and then at one point refers to it as an N-word pass because yes. of how much black people like him, I guess. it was. This was obviously the era where, you know, Justin Bieber was making jokes. <gasps> yeah. Hip-hop was at an absolute fever pitch at this yeah. point. And being, yeah, associated and beloved by black people, I think, really did get you a lot of culture cachet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We took, he it, took, a little it, took a little further. He took yeah, it yeah, further. Yeah. He was widely called out because he absolutely can't and should not do that. Um, no, it's also a hard R yeah. N-word. Yeah. Which it, is very... It, on record. Oh, my God. In an interview, someone saying that to you? I cannot imagine. We are not even... We're not even halfway through. No. And already the amount of stuff that he has told... Rob, I feel like, how are you feeling in this moment? You're just like, oh my God. It's like, maybe this was assigned as a profile, but all of this needs to stay in. So it needs to now be a seven page Q&A. Speaking of wanting to live in other eras, it really does make me long mm. for a time when people were so much less media trained yeah. because the life we might've been living back then to just oh have God. these conversations and seeing people go absolutely insane. Well, it's like how stars used to not have stylists. And when we look back at some of those early Oscars looks, like the first Oscars of or a Or even star, every Ashley Tisdale red carpet. I know. And she's proud of that. I've interviewed her. And she was like, I've actually never been more confident than in that era. She was like, I felt gorgeous <laughs> walking up to those. She's like, I now as a grown woman, I'm trying to get some of that back. How I felt styling myself for those red carpets. Isn't that kind of stunning? <laughs> it's the fedora with the lay, yeah. with the skinny scarf. With the skirt over the, the culottes. <laughs> with a kitten heel. With a sock. <laughs> It's like, there are 19 layers happening here. And you are pulling off every one of them. <laughs> and then we're back to Jen. And then we're back to Jen. Yeah, Rob asked, do you so... still love her? <gasps> I, my, dream my dream time. question. Do you still love her? 
He says, yes, always. I'll always be sorry that it didn't last. In some ways, I wish I could be with her, but I can't change the fact that I need to be 32. And then what follows is one of my favorite quotes from the piece, where he basically explains, like, he is like an old soul, but... 32 just comes roaring out of me at points when I don't see it coming. I want to dance. I want to get on an airplane and be like a ninja. I want to be an explorer. I want to be like the born identity. I don't want to pet dogs in the kitchen. <laughs> I don't want to pet dogs in the kitchen. Is he saying that 32 is young? Or yeah, he's is? saying like, I want to go wild. Like, I don't so want to. So he's like, I'm an old soul, but 32 comes roaring out of me. Yes, like sometimes my youth comes, which I love. That feels like a radical perspective I to agree. consider 32 young. Where it's like, I'm so young. I just want to be like the born identity. Yes. I want to, I want to do flips. He's because training in Krav Maga like, at the time. And, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, at this time, it's like 32 is over the hill. Yeah. Oh, in, my God. In this generation. I mean, now 32 is 22. We've said it many times. Imagine Addison Ray, 32. <laughs> I know why she's top of mind for you, and it's because we talked about her I right know. before recording. We her right? I just interviewed Charlie D'Amelio, and mm-hmm. I, I I couldn't help but I had to compare her to my Edison Ray interview, which she wasn't was. my favorite. Yeah. yeah. And that's all we'll say about that. Let the people know. But you'll log on to the Patreon if you want more. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe that's what we sound off about. For yeah, our, yeah, could be good. On the Patreon, we will be releasing exclusive, unfiltered content. Yeah, who we've met, who we've liked, who we've disliked. Yeah, the and thirty-two sh- is young. You heard it from us first. Thirty-two and is Rob agrees. Damn young, and yeah, he goes. That's not so weird for a thirty-two-year-old. And then John goes, for a long time, I was asking, what's wrong with me? I spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on therapy for people to say nothing is wrong. <laughs> Incredible. He saw splitting up with Jan Aniston as akin to burning the American flag, which is both true and hilarious. Yeah, he says, I considered myself a villain. It's funny. I can't help but really enjoy his perspective because she is America's sweetheart. Oh, my God. She's got to be up there with the most beloved, unproblematic celebrities in the history of American pop culture. No, you're you're completely right. right. No, I, I, I actually don't know if there's someone... Of our generation? I, no, comparable. we haven't found that person yet. Of our mother's generation, it's Jennifer Aniston. People had weird things with Angelina Jolie. Some moms were like, I don't like her. Well, she was I mean, so sexy yeah. and strange. Yeah. But Jen Aniston, perfect. perfect. Like butter on a Sunday morning. All American girl. Yeah. So they were together not that long. They broke up once. They were like a year maybe. And he was getting, I guess, nonstop like media requests when they broke up. Like it was yeah. Us Weekly hitting him up. He didn't sleep. He thought he was like going blind. It was just like it was surrounded by paparazzi and reporters at all times. It mm-hmm. seems like he was really about to jump off the ledge. Yeah. And Rob also then takes this moment to ask about Jessica Simpson, who he dated in 2006, which that was kind of, I would say, the beginning of his tabloid fixture thing. Like when he stepped out with Jessica Simpson, everyone was like, oh my God, what is up? He describes her in one of the most wild ways anyone has ever described a woman that they've been with. He opens with, that girl for me is a drug. And drugs aren't good for you to do lots of them. Yeah, that girl is like crack cocaine to me. Sexually, it was crazy. That's all I'll say. It was like napalm. Sexual napalm. Remind me again what napalm is. It is a gas used in warfare. That's right. That is like a, yeah, napalm destroys a human body so he asks rob have you ever been with a girl who made you want to quit the rest of your life did you ever say i want to quit my life and just fucking snort you if you charged me ten thousand to fuck you i would start selling all my shit to keep fucking you <laughs> 
poor Rob is just trying to get a word in. And Rob goes, so at this point, <laughs> pardon me for interrupting. Yeah, John goes, pardon me for interrupting you, interviewer. I love Jen so much and I'm now thinking about how bad I would feel if she read this and, and was like, why are you putting me in an article where you're also talking about someone else, meaning Jennifer Aniston? Oh my God. What? I misread this. I thought he was apologizing to Jessica Simpson no, for saying all this. He he's nev- about- never apologized. Yeah. No. And he, he's basically apologizing to Jennifer Aniston in case she reads this and is like, why are you putting me in an article where you're also talking about someone else? I don't want to be in your lineages of like kiss and tell. I keep reading ahead and I no, slap myself no. on the wrist. It's I like there has to be a black myself. bar on the bottom no. because it's too much. It just gets more and more crazy. Insane. Rob us. A very, again, yeah. Innocent oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> this question. is like one of the prime examples. <laughs> I'm obsessed with this like Cosmo 2002 question that Rob asked, which is like, at this point, what's your ideal relationship? I love it. Can I please read? Yeah, please. John says, here's what I really want to do at 32. Fuck a girl. Then as she's sleeping in bed, make breakfast for her. So she's like, what? You gave me five vaginal orgasms last night and you're making me a spinach omelet? You are the shit. So she says, I love this guy. And I say, I love this girl loving me. And then we have a problem because that entails instant relationship. I'm already playing house. When I lose interest, she's going to say, why would you do that if you didn't want to stick with me? And then Rob says, why do you do it? Because I want to show her I'm not like every other guy because I hate other men. When I'm fucking you, I'm trying to fuck every man who's ever fucked you, but in his ass. So you'll say, no one has ever done that to me in bed. This is so explicit. I feel like we have to put an explicit warning on this and we will. Oh, we'll have to. And I do. I hope my content warning. I mean, I don't know if it could have done it justice because no one could really see this coming. (laughs) I mean, the last you just said is, I mean... What are the most explicit things I've heard? I heard in my life. I'm scandalized. I wash out my own I know. <laughs> and he's saying this in an interview. He's a famous person. Like on the precipice of like a big career moment. He's like Grammy winning, touring musician. Universally respected. I'm trying to think again, like a, a, a comp for today and who if they went off book like this, like could get away with it. It would be delightful if someone decided to do this. This is all madness. Yeah. We haven't even gotten to the Rolling Stone, really. This is so funny because usually when there's an interview like this, there's one line and people of pull course. it out and they blast it across Twitter, Instagram, anywhere. They make reels about it. This is a cancelable offense. This one line. This interview has so many takeaways like that where you cannot even choose the worst of them. I mean, the David Duke cock was yeah. up there. The fucking the man in the ass of every man who's ever fucked you is up yeah. there. It's really crazy. Sexual napalm was a big one because Jessica Sexual Simpson na- was so famous. And that's the thing. It's like the spinach omelet and the five vaginal orgasms is one thing. But the Jessica Simpson stuff caused an actual fallout for her in the world because everyone was like, oh my God, she's a sex freak. Yeah. Look she wrote about it recently in her book. She I know. had to address it. Yeah. And they were together for not that long, but he got very close with her family. And then she would like go over to her parents' house and John Mayer would just be there hanging out with her dad. So it's clear he's he's a, 
an amazing hang. So fun to talk to. So fun to hang out with. Well, I'm very confused by his Andy Cohen relationship. I mean, they were rumored to be dating forever. I oh. I don't think there's there's any truth to that. No, but, no. I mean, two tops in a relationship famously do not create a bottom. No, and he also does address actually the rumors that he's gay in the Rolling Stone piece because after those rumors came out, he like saw Perez Hilton at an event and then went and French kissed him in front of everyone for like a very long time. Yeah, he loves to make out. That he much does. is clear. Uh, <laughs> wow. But bringing it back to Playboy. Yeah, I know. We move a little forward out of the relationship sex sphere and into music that he likes, yeah. which is really cute. Which is so cute. Rob is really trying to keep it yeah. <laughs> like PG. He's like, what are you into? <laughs> he talks about like the angle, like the geometric angle he uses to bone women and then Rob goes, maybe that's easier at your height. You talked about listening to Miles Davis and <laughs> in high school, but that's not the kind of music you make. He talks about loving Miley Cyrus. He loves Party in the USA and he loves The Climb, which yeah. he believes to be the best pop song of the past year. Best pop song of the past decade, we know now. He took a friend and his kids to see Miley Cyrus in Vegas. Yeah. And then he leaned over to her and told her to take $100,000, put it in a shoebox and bury it in her backyard. And he walked away being like, that was super strange. He just like is comfortable saying what comes to mind. So this is what's interesting. And I I think we take a a little pause. Yeah, let's take a moment. I almost want to close our computers for a sec. Please do. Because if I keep reading some of these words, we're just going to, I mean, we could publish a dramatic reading of the Q&A where you read Rob parts and I read John Mayer's parts. But honestly, save people from reading. They can just listen to it at the gym. That's (gasps) true. Let's do it. Let's we're doing do it. it. We'll okay. do that. We're absolutely going to do that. Yeah. Sign up to the Patreon and we're going to publish like a dramatic reading. Oh my God. No, that'll who's be gonna so Who's going to play fun. Rob and who's going to play John? Well, Rock, Paper, Scissors for it. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy either way. Something that really delights me about playing Rob, but I think it's just the vicarious role play of having this type of experience. Totally. Totally. And I feel like there would be moments where we both shine in there. <laughs> <laughs> so Two actors yeah. fighting it out for the lead oh role. My <laughs> the cast list goes I up. Know. Who's got it? Who's got it? Who's got it? <laughs> We make Chris cast us. <laughs> Honestly, this would be an amazing play. Would it not? We write the script. Uh, come on. I think that's a $100 million idea. I agree. Straight to Broadway. Oh, yeah. This is all to say men that we always get a little bit free and frisky with men. You know, we can hold them to a, a slightly more intense standard. <laughs> exactly. Than we, than we can women who are obviously already held to many different standards and have yeah. to it's navigate like they've that. been through hell, so we're not going to help light the fire even further. But we have had men that we both actively dislike throughout the course of this podcast. Yeah. And we have tried as best as we can to present like a really balanced perspective. Yeah. As to who these men are, why they might behave this way well into their 40s and 50s. <clears throat> Leo DiCaprio. Yeah. But I don't not like this man. No, this is the thing. This is the thing. I would love to have a long, long dinner. I'm talking two rounds of apps. I'm talking. His favorite pop song is Miley Cyrus's The Climb. And then he goes to a concert, whispers in her ear, take $100,000, put it in a shoebox and bury it in your backyard. And then he walks away. It's just interesting. He's just so weird. And this was, before I arrived here, this was Stephen's plea. Okay. He said, I don't think it's right <laughs> to go into this man without at least acknowledging how interesting he is and how no one is doing it like this and how he's been true to himself the whole time. And he was like, you girls, 
Yeah, he thinks just, we're sharpening the pitchforks. And I was like, no, I, I this is different. Because yeah. there are people that we've talked about, I would say Miles Teller among them, maybe even Jeremy Strong, that I don't want to hang out with. I don't want to see them. I don't want to interact with them. I don't want to have really a conversation with them. It's like the profile to me proved everything I assumed. This is I must different. say, I did see Jeremy Strong in real life at dinner. <gasps> he didn't seem to be having a very good time. <gasps> Where? At the edition in West oh, Hollywood. I love that place. He carried in like a, a luxury shopping bag and set it down and just seemed to be kind of low energy. Why have you and I not gone to Rodeo Drive together? That can is I, a can, crime. Answer me this. <laughs> answer me this. Why have you and I not donned little checkered miniskirts and walked down Rodeo Drive? I think the idol ruined it for us. Oh, I did. I'm going to drag your fucking ass down Rodeo oh, Drive. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. It's like I'm, I come away with this feeling that if we were to have an audience with him, specifically you and I, I think we'd, one, learn a lot. He's very open. I really do think it came out of this with a friendship. I know. I'm certain of it. I have a feeling that I would text him and be like, hey, there's a deal on the table. Which way would you go? And he would give me real time valid advice. Yeah. And it's so strange because of all that he said to say something like, I just feel like I would trust him. That's dad. That is my dad. That's my dad. (laughs) It's my sexually explicit. Inappropriate dad. Mm -hmm. Do we want to get into the Paris Hilton kiss a little bit? Yeah. He says, all of a sudden I had a thought. I can out-gay this guy right here. I grabbed him and gave him the dirtiest, tongiest kiss I've ever put on anybody. Almost as if I hated F-words. Yeah, so he says the F-word and the N-word yeah. in this. <laughs> it's it's too much. It lasted half a minute. I think it went on too long. Like, he just goes wild. He also hates Prez, he says one of the funniest things ever now. He, they were like, oh, is it like a love-hate? And he said, it used to be. Now, I believe we're fully into fighting with breakaway chairs, <laughs> which is so funny. He says, I think the impact of his tone is beginning to wane. I give a lot more credit to Harvey Levin at TMZ. Mm. And then Rob says, would you kiss Harvey Levin? He goes, I would rim him probably. <laughs> rim. Rim. Rim him. Just nothing throws him off. He doesn't even take a beat before well, saying I would rim him. And you know that the way that he went on call her daddy was just that they were like seated together at a random dinner. She was like, come on my podcast. And he's like, yeah, I'll answer anything that you ask. And he did. Yeah, that was quite a like a stale conversation, though, I felt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. And I feel like you'll all be relieved to know that we're now at the end of the Playboy profile. We are. He basically says, I'm not dating. I'm not fucking. So now I'm going to experiment with fuck you as like a way of life. Yeah. Yeah. In 2010, my goal is to get more mentions in Us Weekly than ever. And boy, does he achieve that goal. He does. He got it. (laughs) I think I want to be really intentional about this. Okay. So this came out a month after his Rolling Stone profile came out. Mm -hmm. And his Rolling Stone profile was also intense yeah it was very intense there were quotes in that like blowing me off is the new sucking me off he wants to meet a partner and a woman as we mentioned and he says like how am i going to make this work do i have to meet someone who i admire more than i admire myself and then poses the question to the interviewer but isn't it also about a beautiful vagina aren't we talking about a matrix of a couple different things here like you want someone who's going to go toe-to-toe with you intellectually but don't they also have to have to have a vagina that you could pitch a tent on and just camp out on for like the weekend the joshua tree of vaginas 
I mean, it makes sense that he's a songwriter. It's so <laughs> striking visually. He's a poet. He's a poet. So these these profiles were obviously back to back, and it really did initiate absolute chaos. Yeah. The Jessica Simpson thing is the takeaway that I think most people remember. This profile was requested by Nago months and months and months ago. Mm-hmm. And we really oh, held off. Oh, yeah. We held <gasps> off because it's a QA. and a We right. were like, that's not our style. That's not what we do. Baby. No, but we had to. We're we elitist here. I know. I know. Highbrow only. No. And the Rolling Stone profile is gorgeous, incredible. The writer of this one, Eric Hedegaard, has written other huge profiles. A lot of musicians. Yeah. And... He really has a laugh with John Mayer. Beautifully written. And Gorgeous. also, yeah, really gives you context. And he gets a lot of little details that weren't in the Playboy because it was like John Mayer on John Mayer. This is someone that's able to give some context. For instance, his style changes day to day. And he's kind of choosing between all these different parts that he plays and how he spent about 200000 on clothes in the last year. Yeah, he's a real stylista. Yeah, I know. A tutorialist. Can you imagine? $200,000 budget. What you and I are looking like. Oh. <laughs> How you and I are walking down the street. The dopamine wouldn't even hit at that point. No, no. It's, it's just nothing. Yeah. a perpetual rush. It's just like, nothing. yeah, it's like printer paper. And you can't wear that much, I feel like. No. 200000 No. What I did find really interesting uh, comparing the two profiles is that John would repeat jokes, which made me realize it was all kind of a bit... Like, he really was feeling totally reckless, but intentionally so. Yeah. He brings up, Eric says, apropos of nothing, that he is the new generation of masturbator. And then he says, I've seen it all. Before I make coffee, I've seen more buttholes than a proctologist does in a week. He says in the Playboy interview... 300 vaginas before he has his coffee. He says, there have been days where I've seen 300 vaginas before I got out of bed. Yeah. And it's like, that's the same thing. That yeah, you're yeah, saying yeah. in multiple interviews. This is not a slip of the tongue. Yeah, yeah. He is being intentionally provocative here. Yeah. True provocateur. Mm-hmm. He loves to talk about jerking off more than anyone on the planet. I know. It's wild because that's something that traditionally everyone has a lot of shame about. Yeah. But he's kind of like, yeah, I do it every day. What? Am I going to deny that? No, I do it every day. Yeah. No Catholic guilt here. (laughs) Yeah. This is my theory. I think that he is at that transition point, that precipice where fame is starting to overtake daily life. He's just dated Jennifer Aniston. He's had to move somewhere with a gate. He says in this profile, one of his quotes is like, I don't want to be behind a gate. Like, that's not my way. And I think that his career is sort of like taking flight in a way that feels like he doesn't have control. And I think the control he does have is to almost like control the narrative. It's like the things that people are saying about him aren't things that he necessarily feels are correct. He talks a lot about how he was just an ugly boy with acne growing up and he's always felt like this underdog with girls that the idea that he is this playboy womanizer that could have anyone he wants, that's so not an image he identifies with at all. So the fact that the press is running with that, it's like he would rather them run with the fact that he's a habitual masturbator because at least he identifies that way. Coming across this New York Times profile that came out when he was 40, so eight years later, yeah, yeah, really brought it home for me in the sense of this is why we could not extricate the playboy from the Rolling Stone profile mm-hmm. because – John Mayer sees it as one and the same. He says to Joe Coscarelli, who's a famous New York Times 
pop music, pop culture reporter, that the elephant in the room is that we're sort of talking about the double-headed dragon of the Rolling Stone interview and the Playboy interview. This is what he says in reference to like how he fell off. Those were the most, I guess, pivotal, life-changing pieces of press he <laughs> ever done. The response of this was that people were like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? Chronicling his masturbation in real detail, referring to his male anatomy as David Duke. And... He really had to like look himself in the mirror and he says to Joe in this profile, what has to happen for a guy to believe he's totally well adjusted and be that far out of touch? He says, my GPS was shattered, just shattered. He was trying to, yeah, he was trying to distance himself so far from the cliched rock star. Mm -hmm. He invented his own grenade, which was tabloid fame, provocative one-liners, and as a result, his career, quote, flatlined. It was a cat and mouse, he said, and the mouse lost. <gasps> Isn't that so interesting? I don't know if we have, like, other stories like that. No. Because. He, sorry. No, no, no. No, you go. You go. <laughs> oh, my God. It was Taylor Swift. I was like, when did we hear this before? He talks about this whole concept of behind the music, which was just so big and of their era, Taylor mm. and John. And he says, I'm old enough to look back on my life and go, that's probably the photo negative shot. You know that oh, black yeah. and white shot where it's like, this is where it all went wrong. Yep. He said, that's the photo negative shot and behind the music. Coming up after the break, boom, the downfall. And he's referring to these two interviews. Yeah. Taylor Swift said, every time I watch behind the music and see where it all went wrong, it's because the star completely lost touch of their self-awareness. It does feel like anyone would be liable to do something insane when they're feeling adrift. Even more than when you're like experiencing, I don't know, the early stages of fame. It's like, I feel like then people are careful because it's like something you want to preserve. But when it gets to a point where you feel untouchable, yeah, then you're liable to do wild stuff. I mean, look at Justin Bieber. Look at so many people where it's like when it when their career got to a point where they're like, I, my name is known in every household. Yeah, I'm they're pissing like, on pyramids. In I'm going to shave my head like I'm going not, not Britney Spears, but yeah, talking about Bieber's buzz cut. Also a famous buzz cut. I know. Yeah, no, Justin Bieber is the perfect example that you could have brought up as a cop because he found God. When there's suddenly no purpose, which is what all of us are innately searching for is purpose. Oh my God, Justin Bieber's album name. I didn't even think of that. When the purpose is gone, the fulfillment dissipates and you look for a way to do a like a sharp turn reroute to try and find it again. And I think maybe in John's mind, it was one, if I destroy this, will I be able to build myself back up and will that offer me the purpose I've been looking for. Mm. But I think the other side of it was also if I prod the bear this much, is the bear going to bite? Yeah. And I think he probably got a shock with how much the bear really sunk their teeth in. And now his reputation, I mean, he's still beloved, but sure. his reputation I think will always be complicated as a result. I think it's hard to say the N word with a hard R and ever return. And it's also hard because women have come out Jessica Simpson most recently in her memoir talking about how there have been times where it really sucks to date him. Mm. The way that he's defended himself is that he puts women on a pedestal and loves them so much that he can be overwhelming as a partner, which I fully believe. <laughs> I think that that's like putting it lightly, I'm sure. He's the good morning, beautiful texter. Yeah. It's just the spinach omelets in the morning. Oh. 
Also, who's sleeping in at John's house? I'm awake at the crack of dawn being like, what am I doing here? I'm really not relaxing enough to sleep until 10, to sleep into a spinach omelet. No. Although he did in this Rolling Stone profile reveal his daily routine and it did sound very bleak. Oh my God. He goes to sleep at 4 a.m. Oh yeah. Takes his annex, wakes up at midday, has a coffee, decides who he wants to be. That's what oh he says. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, to date him sounds intense. Intense being the operative word and yeah. also probably an understatement. He has this interesting, very interesting quote in the Rolling Stone piece where he says, I have this weird feeling, a pride thing for the people I've had relationships with. I still feel like I'm with them. <sighs> it's a sense of ownership, right? Yeah. Ooh, I hate that. Yeah, I don't. I knew you wouldn't like that. I knew you wouldn't like that. It's like that same thing I feel like, which I've heard many friends talk about when like something bad happens in your life and an ex will reach out to be like, just heard hope you're good or and it's like why the fuck would you think that i want to hear from you yeah or even i've had like big articles go live and an ex reach out and be like no. so proud of you you're like ah. and i'm like you don't get to be proud of me you have no nothing to do with me yeah i'm a stranger to you yeah <laughs> keep my name out of your mouth that's truly what he feels like he's like if i gave you five vaginal orgasms you belong to We're me together. in some way yeah He's a complicated man. Very complicated man. I still like him. I know. It's strange. But I don't want to be with him. No, no. And I also don't want to be him. No, no. It seems like a really tough place in his head. Really tough place. Just full on all the time. But I also agree with with Steven, your fiance, in the sense of he is damn interesting. And there's no one else like him. And there's no one else being this candid and this free. And that is totally refreshing yes and nobody's also playing guitar like him no god no. watch a video my god <laughs> it'll send you into another dimension i know it really will it's really like oh my god like his ability to hold a rhythm yeah something else i remember watching him live and feeling jealous being that good at something yeah because God touches few, as we know. God, this is such a religious, I know. such a religious pod for two staunch us atheists holding, <laughs> us holding our cross necklaces at all times, <laughs> clutching the rosary. Yeah, to be given that gift is just—it's unreal. Like it happens to so few people. I remember feeling jealous of that. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I have a quote. I think to close us out, please calls out the elephant in the room. He he also loves saying the elephant to the room. Have yeah. you noticed that? Yeah, yeah, He yeah. says it on the Call of Daddy podcast. He says it in this New York Times profile. He says it, I'm pretty sure, in Rolling Stone. He has a herd of elephants in his <laughs> room. He really does. A stampede yeah, is coming. Yeah, they are ripping through. So I guess he's vegetarian or something. He realized he ate chicken yesterday. And the quote opens, fuck the chicken, he says, and calls out for spaghetti bolognese. I'll be honest with you. All this weird shit about me, all this strangeness, I wouldn't have a music career without it but I'm at odds with myself. He is totally at odds with himself. Yeah. And that's why we can't pin him down. That's what it looks like to be at odds with yourself. Damn. Damn. But it's true. With all, it's like his career would have been different. If he had tried to take the Shawn Mendes route, it never would have worked. No, And it's not working for Sean, to be honest. Sean has been shackled by his own expectations to bring a full circle. And there's a fear. I can't at all say even one thing that's going to be misinterpreted. And like, honestly, the way that it, manifest in a profile or like a any sort of relationship with a journalist is that it's dull it's dull yes. when you're watching someone censor themselves it's like what you've talked about like people that are too nice people that just like aren't ever saying what they mean 
It doesn't matter what they're saying. It's not interesting. And I know that like, obviously we're coming from a unique vantage point of interviewing people often and you think it's going to be the most exciting conversation you've ever had because you're meeting like a hero of sorts or you're meeting someone who's truly at the top of their game. And that is, that is fun, but they are so careful. Mm -hmm. Every question is answered with so many thoughtful, prolonged pauses. It is dull. It's totally dull. This is so good for that reason. It's like such an exciting read, both of them. It's a splash of cold water to the face, both (laughs) the positive and the negative of that. I would venture to say it's a cold plunge. Yeah. Truly, I think of all the people that we've discussed on this podcast, this is the person I want to meet. This is the person I want to interview. I agree. And I think it also brings it full circle to both of our inspirations, which is that he very clearly needs to let go of a lot of what he's like he he needs to let go of the idea of the woman in his head Mm -hmm. he needs to let go of who he believes himself to be he clearly hasn't lived up to his own expectations and that's what he needs to rid himself of because those are the heaviest of shackles and you lose yourself i think Mm -hmm. when you're trying to live up to a version of yourself that doesn't exist and has never existed yeah wow wow what a goddamn ride my lord with old Johnny. Well, I guess time to play exhale. <laughs> Let's go into the to sunset. To it. I know. <laughs> Can't wait. We've got a happy hour after this. So yeah, spirits are obviously we- pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> but we will be soundtracking it with a little bit of exhale. Yeah. Nothing hits quite like a Beyonce, John Mayer crossover. Am I right? No. And speaking of, oh my God, what have we followed the Beyonce profile with John Mayer? Stop <gasps> it. We are, oh! we are just too in sync. We love you. Please subscribe to the Patreon because actually so much fun stuff is coming out. There will be unfiltered, unedited, totally uncensored conversations, just like the kind that we've been speaking about. There will be fun little blog post articles, again, unmediated by the publications we usually write for. We are just being fun, being free, being crazy. And frankly, it's worth that 16 cents a day. I think so. 0.16. I think so. Have a great day. We're so excited for you to tackle the world with the shameless confidence of one John Mayer. Take it and run with it. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) 